This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 21. Today, I'm talking with Dominique Smith. He is the Director of Student Services at Health Sciences High and Middle College, where he also serves as a community builder and student advocate. He's a social worker, a school administrator, a mentor, a national trainer for the International Institute of Restorative Practices, and a member of the ASCD's FIT Teaching, which is the framework for intentional and targeted teaching. He's passionate about creating school cultures that honor students and build their confidence and competence. He is the winner of the National School Safety Award from the National Safety Advocacy Council. He's also the co-author of Better Than Carrots or Sticks, Restorative Practices for Positive Classroom Management and Building Equity, Policies and Practices to Empower All Learners, and he holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Southern California. Now, Dominique has also done a couple of TEDx talks that are really good, and his message that I think is so important is that relationships matter most. Beyond anything else happening in the school between the teacher and the student, that that relationship is what matters the most. So we talk about that in this episode, and... I am just so thankful for the work that Dominique is doing, and I'm so thankful for teachers everywhere. That's one of the hardest jobs in the world by far, and if you are a teacher, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, friends, if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on whatever podcast app you are listening through. We'd love to get these stories and messages into the ears of more listeners, so when you leave a writing interview, that helps us do so. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Dominique Smith. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Dominique Smith on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dominique. Well, thank you for having me. I am excited to have you on. Your sister, Kayla, sent me a message when I was seeking out guests for this new podcast that we launched, and she said, you have to watch this TED Talk that my brother did, and she had really great things to say about you, so I quickly started researching you, and here we are. I'm so excited we've made this happen. Yeah, okay. I think she might be a fan of mine, and that, that always <laughs> makes me happy, so it's a good time. Yeah, so you're the Director of Student Services at Health Sciences High and Middle College. Is that still where you're at? Yeah, I've been there the, the last uh, 11 years. Okay, and so another part of your title I see is culture builder and student advocate. So can you kind of share with everybody? First, let's share how you got into education. Why did you pursue that as a career? Well, I uh, I pursued it in a different route first. I played sports my whole life and I just loved, just loved meeting people. And when I got out of college, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I reached out to my old high school and I just said, I just want to see kids and I just want to try to impact them on the knowledge I have. And 
I want to coach football. So I went in and started coaching football and I had a blast. I met really cool individuals and kids were telling me their stories and their lives and their aspirations. And I, I had so much fun doing that. But all of a sudden, like halfway through the year, some of my students would be ineligible and I'd see their citizenship grades and they said they weren't doing well in class and they were they were labeled bad kids. And I was like, that's that's not who I'm seeing. And maybe it's because teachers aren't seeing how I feel. And maybe I need to be back in the classroom or back into supporting kids in the, in the environment of where they struggle sometimes. And that was my goal. I said I wanted to get into a classroom. I wanted to get into a school and always help kids and always give them a second chance and always hear their voice. And I just wanted to help kids foster their aspirations. Yeah. When you were growing up as a kid, were you a what I guess you would typically call a good student? Did you get good grades? Did you excel in school? I I could have. I don't think I, I pushed myself there. No, I didn't. I, uh, I I think I tried to live that that stereotypical jock lifestyle where I walked around thinking I was Mr. Cool and I love sports so much. That's where I put my focus on. And I knew grades were important, but I just I was a social butterfly at the same time. So I, I started to just enjoy my life and and hang out with friends and play sports. And um, I realized some teachers didn't enjoy that and some teachers got frustrated with me. And that's one of the big reasons I got back in to working with kids because I know who those kids are and I think I can support them a little differently. Yeah, you know, in sort of prepping for this interview, I kind of was thinking back to my own experience in school because I was never a student that excelled. I never got good grades. I was never on any sort of honor roll or even like the most basic um, great, you know, I, I think it was the core 40 when I was in school. That was the just most normal diploma you could graduate with. Like I didn't even graduate with that. And Um, like you, I did a lot of sports and I was super social and those two things were first and second and third was definitely academics in my life. And, um, I've just been thinking back and like, could there have been a teacher, you know, that might've been the person that helped me out in that, in that realm? I don't know. You know, it's, it's like the decisions I made were my own, but I just really got to thinking about that and thinking about different teachers that, that really made an impact on my life uh, growing up. Did you have, was there any specific teacher now that you're a teacher, when you look back, was, did you have any teachers that you look back and you're like, oh, he or she was the one that like really made an impact on my life? Yeah, that's, that's one of the questions I, uh, people ask me all the time. Is there a teacher, right? And you always think of the teacher that had a negative impact on you first mm, because mm-hmm. you never forget them. But I had a couple teachers that I'll never forget. I had a eighth grade teacher. Um, his name was Mr. Montler. He he helped. Uh, he did PE and he did math. And so it was so great. One day I had uh, gone up to the the local high school. It was our eighth grade year, and you had to do a, a fitness uh, test to see how strong you were. And I failed, and I went back to you know eighth grade, and everybody was kind of making fun of me. And during our PE to run the mile, he said, you know, don't run the mile anymore. Why don't we just do some some push-ups and some sit-ups and we'll make you stronger so you never have to experience that again. And that was one of the coolest things someone has ever done for me. And what transferred from that is I tried so much harder in his math class because I knew he cared about me now. And I said, I'll do anything for that man. And when I got to high school, I had the same thing. I had a biology teacher. Her name's just Martin. She's still at the high school that I, I went to. And 
she motivated me and said I could be whatever I wanted. And she told me that all the time. You can do whatever you want. I know you're, you, you know, you're trying to be funny right now or you're trying to be social, but when you put your mind to things, you're one of the best. And she would show up to my games and she'd wear my jersey and, and cheer me on. And I'd get back to class the next day and she would, you know, reference the game and how did I do and what could I have done better. And so I always worked harder in her class. And uh, she was the one that I always tried to make sure if anybody ever heard anything about me, if Miss Martin ever heard anything about me, would it be positive or negative? And I always wanted her to see me in a positive light. So one of the things that, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say one of the things I would say your main key thing that you talk about is, is that relationship building component, um, which it sounds like that's what this teacher was doing with you. And, you know, I've been researching this a lot in my parenting as well. And I know you're the father of three. Um, so you probably like relate a lot of this teaching stuff with your, with your own kids, but this relationship piece and the, what I find. So I think, I guess what might be difficult sometimes is people, the time, you know what I mean? Like the time of the relationships, the time of when you, when you enter, interject with a child who might be behaving poorly or, or doing things to disrupt the classroom. It's thinking first about what am I going to do with this relationship before you move to the, to the punishment or the discipline action or whatever the protocol is. And, and I think that so many things in our lives with our own kids, if we have kids and our, and students that can like really parallel. So I would just love to hear you talk about that relationship piece as being like the number one priority. Yeah. I, you know, this has been a passion of mine for a long time now. I believe relationships are the key um, for success in education. I also believe building relationships with individuals helps you uh, because it holds you accountable. I think when you build a relationship with a student, they see you in a different light, especially when we're working in schools. Um, a student that knows they have an adult that cares about them, that changes who they are. Let's If I take you back to my Miss Martin story, I knew she cared about me, and I knew um, that she would always support me and be there for me. And the funny thing is when I did get in trouble, I didn't get a consequence. They didn't tell me I got a referral. I was going to get a suspension. What they did was they brought Miss Martin into the office and I had to own my mistake in front of her. And I had to hear her say that she was disappointed. And I had to hear her say, I can't believe you would do that. I had to see her cry. And that changed me. I never wanted to do whatever I did again because I never wanted to see Miss Martin's face like that. So that's what I try to take with my students. I want to build a strong enough relationship with them and say, hey, when you do those actions, it hurts us. I, I believe some of our students don't really fear or care of a referral or a detention or suspension because they know how to get that. But they do fear and they, do don't, they, they, they don't want to lose a, a connection with an adult that says, hey, I really care about you. And so that's where I take it back with my own family now, my 10-year-old. He doesn't care. I mean, he'll care for a little bit if he got uh, grounded or if he lost uh, playing Fortnite. If, I know I'm a dad letting my son play Fortnite. But, <laughs> uh, um, he, and that, that bothers him for a little bit. But when he knows I'm disappointed or if he knows that what he did hurt me or makes me sad, that has a bigger impact. That changes his beha behavior a lot faster. Yeah. You know, I was recently listening to uh, someone speak on this, this um, repairing 
the harmful situation as opposed to just like punishing, like as opposed to say a kid acts up in class um, and it's a minor thing and this kid gets suspended and then that and, and then they end up getting suspended over and over and over again for little things. But since they got suspended once and they found out it wasn't so bad, like why not? you know, why am I going to stop doing what I was doing and, and not get suspended again? So the conversation really revolved around finding alternative ways to repair whatever that was. And one thing they talked about was um, bringing in every single person that was part of the situation. So say the kid, say the child, you know, hit another kid on the playground or disrupted the class. Like who is that affecting other than just you? And how can we reconcile all of that, you know, without just just straight away sending them to whatever that big bad punishment is. So I would love to hear in your school um, and what you do in your practice, what are some ways that you suggest dealing with disruptive kids in the classroom? Well, that I'm glad you brought that up. So that's been a big part of my, um, my journey and, and my passion and my life and my research is all based on what we call restorative practices. And right now, it's uh, there's a lot of change in schooling where kids can't be suspended for defiance or disrespect and things like that. And we are trying to build a restorative classroom environment. Now, as I'm a passionate person for this, there is some pushback because some of the readings that we get to read state that Kids can do whatever they want, and mm. there's no mm-hmm. accountability. And that's far from the truth. I don't believe that. I, I want to hold kids accountable, and I want kids to understand what they're doing. When we suspend students, sometimes they have no idea why they're suspended, or they never do like a self-reflection. They never take ownership, and they never repair the harm. So what I try to do with my students is make sure that they have that ownership. Make sure they try to repair the harm. Because that has a longer lasting effect than going home for a couple of days. Now, as I have my own child, it's been interesting because I get to see that in both realms. So recently, my son was in a situation where a student wasn't treating him the best way. And I had to come in for it um, and meet with the vice principal. And in that moment, as a parent, your, your first thought is, if my kid's hurt, the other student better have a consequence. That's mm-hmm. what your, your your heart, your mind tells you. But as I've got to reflect now and I, I look at my own son and I, and I look at education, I want my son to be able to sit across from someone that caused him harm and that person actually tell him I'm sorry or, you know, I didn't mean it or, hey, this is over because that has a better effect. I saw my son be able to, you know, relieve some stress when he saw the other student sit across from him and say, hey, that was my bad and I, I'm not going to do that to you again. That felt better for him rather than thinking, oh, this kid's going to be gone for three or four days. So as a parent, I have to understand, and this is what I'm trying to teach my other friends that have children, like, yeah, we want to say get out and and that kid better get some kind of consequence because that's how we grew up. But when we start to think about it, if these kids are taking ownership and these kids are repairing harm, that's going to be better for all of us. And, And that's what I'm hoping to get across with this work. What do you think, though, and I totally understand that that pushback you were saying, like, do the kids have too much um, say or whatever? Because I've been listening to all this positive parenting stuff as well. I just think this stuff is so goes hand in hand. And one of my husband's biggest complaints was 
you're giving the kids too much um too mu- you're like too much on a level playing ground with our kids they need to know who is the authority and i think there's this like really fine balance right so i guess what's what do you do though when the chi- when the child who is consistently disrupting the classroom or like if you keep doing these restorative repairs what's the end result if it's not working right uh you know the end result and this is where uh this work gets hard it's like how what what's our threshold when is when's enough enough right and then i look at it as is there any growth at all so i know it's going to be a long process but if i told the student today i don't want you to get out of your seat anymore because that's been really disrupting our class and all of a sudden now they're sitting in their seat but now they're throwing things that's going to cause another realm of frustration but at least that student heard our first round of saying, hey, can you stop this? Can you work on this? And they're, they're having that small victory. And this is, this is that hard work. We have to understand at our school, what, where are we going to go? How, how often are we going to work with kids? And my, my, my all-time thinking is if I can't help this kid where I have my passion here and I'm, my thinking is this way, who is going to help the student? Now, safety first for all students. I want to make sure that that is always true. I want to have a safe environment, you know, um, sometimes a sort of practice doesn't need to be a, you know, the student gets to come back right away. No, restorative can be at a later time. But my, my thinking is always when we're working with kids, if I can't help them, if I can't help them see change, if I can't help them understand the impact they're making and I get rid of them or I push them away or I say they need to go to another school, who's going to help them next? Is that person going to be? The same thing as me, or are they going to see this student, you know, trend into next school, next school, next school? And and that's what I'm trying to avoid with some of our students. Like I work with some students that come from very hard upbringings and they've never trusted an adult. So it goes all the way back to that relationship component. I need to build that relationship first because they don't care if they hurt an adult. They don't care if they hurt the environment because that's what they've been told their whole life is okay and I can just escape from it. So let's build that relationship first and see where we can go. I have a, a colleague right now of mine who actually was a student at my school. And he, I tell the story all the time about him. He was probably one of the hardest kids I've ever met in my life. And for years, he challenged the norms because he just didn't trust adults. And then all of a sudden, we just got through. And I mean, the first two years, I, I give so much praise to the teacher because they dealt with a lot. But they created a wonderful human being because now after he graduated, he went to the military, served our country. And now he's back at our school talking to kids every single day, trying to become a counselor for us to say, hey, what you're doing right now isn't okay. And I, I've been in your shoes, but these people care. And when when adults care for you, it can really change your life. So that's what I'm hoping we can try to get to uh, when we're working through this. Yeah, it's so crazy to think of like what his life could have been had he not had those people in his life outside of the mm, home. Right. How do you make sure so what what's the average number of students in a given classroom? Like 20, 25? Am I totally uh, off? <laughs> to, it depends on grade level. Yeah. Um, right now, uh, I'm in eighth grade and then high school. That's where my school sits. And our class size is sit between 32 and 37. Okay. Wow. That's big. Well, I guess my kids are still so – my oldest is seven, so I, I picture his classroom. I think he's got about yeah, 25. Yeah, so 25. Yeah. yeah. How do you – how do teachers – Like, how do you make sure you connect with each student? Because I envision, you know, even thinking back to my own experiences as a student, you can definitely see that teachers have 
deeper relationships with different kids and that who knows for what reasons, but how do you kind of make sure that each student feels that connection? Yeah, I think one of the, the best things I've seen, one of the, the most um, interacting experiences for students is when teachers stand out the door and they mm-hmm. have a series of, you want me to give you a hug, a fist bump, a dance move, a wave, and the student gets to choose what they want from that teacher that day. And they line up outside, they walk up to the sign, they say, I want a fist bump, or I want a hug, or I want a handshake, and they get to do that with that teacher, and that teacher is making contact with every single student every single day. I think it's been one of the best things. Students love it. They get excited for it. They, they run up in the morning and they, they get in line just so they can have that moment with their teachers. I also believe that teachers are creating spaces in their, their classroom where they can have connections with students, where some of the students that we don't have connections with are the students that really push us and have hard times. And I've seen some teachers make some really cool, um, they're called cool off corners, where a student understands and they're trying to self-regulate saying, I'm struggling right now. And instead of kicking them out to class, they do some, you know, sit over in the cool, cool corner. There's some, there's some art, there's some, you know, social emotional learning techniques over there. There's some things to cool you down and that teacher can get a lesson going and then walk over and say, Hey, is everything okay? How can I support you? And bring that kid back to the learning environment. And I think those have been two great things. I think always just taking some time and, and, building into your lesson plan, like for five, six minutes today, I'm going to be just, you know, checking in with students one, one-on-one, a couple minutes here and there, just because it, it helps you build on that, that knowledge of who the students are in your classroom. Yeah. So you think each teacher should have like a, definitely at least one, one-on-one interaction every single day? I would hope so. I don't want to, I don't want to frustrate any teachers where I know they're, <laughs> they're delivering great content and we already add a, you know, your instructional minutes are your most prized possession. So I don't ever want to say use your instructional minutes to go uh, <laughs> build relationships with kids. But at the same time, I believe that I believe building relationships while you're teaching content uh, makes a huge difference in the classroom. Okay. I want to talk to you about this because this is something that you brought up on your, one of your Ted talks is the clip chart because my pre-K son's teacher uses this clip chart. And so I want to hear all about your thoughts on this. And for those listening, I'm talking about there's a behavior chart where, you know, you're on a certain color when you start the day. And then if you have a good day, you go up. If you have a bad day, you go down. Um, for me, it doesn't really affect our family because he pretty much stays neutral or goes up. But I can imagine if I had a child who was constantly on red, I would be feeling very frustrated. Like you are making my child feel like they're a bad kid. So I would just love to hear your take on that whole system. Well, this is where you might lose some of your uh, members because uh, (laughs) uh, I, I, I experienced the same thing. My son had a clip chart and this is where um, some of my feelings came for it is my son, my son's a great, great kid. And I'm not just saying that because of his dad. He's a great kid and he follows directions and he goes to school excited. And he had a, a clip chart that would start in the middle. And if you had a good day, you go to sunny land. If you had a really good day, you go to rainbow land. And if you had a poor day, you'd go to cloudy land. If you had a really bad day, you go to stormy land. And it just made me laugh. Like that's what our kids are focusing on in classrooms. But every day my kid would come home and he'd be so excited. And he'd be like, dad, I had a I had a I had a rainbow day and I'd be so proud. I was like, good job, you know, and you had that proud dad moment where my kid was doing exactly what I asked him to do. 
But then what really made me sad is after he would tell me he did well, he could name all the kids that were stormy kids that day. Mm. And what he was doing was doing what his teacher was doing as well, was labeling these kids as bad kids. And these kids live there all year. And it's usually three or five of them that never really get to clip up. I know some of our systems have changed and we don't go, we don't clip down as much or our focus is always to clip back up. But I see schools still where kids, you walk in and 23 kids are up in that, the good colors or the good sayings and two kids are down at the bottom. And those kids are shamed. They have to, everybody gets to watch their clip get clipped down. Everybody knows who they are. They feel humiliation. You know, they're the person that's always the one that's at the bottom. And it just causes this, this anxiety for students, this, this unnecessary feeling of you're not doing well. Now, I like the system because it holds kids accountable. If kids are doing right. something wrong, they need to know. But why can't we do it more privately? I'm hoping to do it as a more private conversation where students don't have to see that. Because just like adults, if, if I was in a room with adults and I gave everybody a clip and I, I clipped a couple of adults down, oh my goodness, we would we would have a major issue. <laughs> and w- what, I, what I tell adults all the time is you don't like being called out. You don't like feeling that shame or humiliation moment. And and I, I transfer the clip chart to you being in your car. If you're in your car at a red light and someone honks at you, there's usually a reaction. You usually get nervous, like, oh, my goodness, like, what was I doing? And you speed off because you feel uncomfortable in that moment. Some people get very frustrated because they were just, you know, labeled or called out like you're doing something wrong. So they'll say the stop sign or stop light till it turns yellow and then go. Or some people stick their finger out the window because they're so mad and that's the same reaction kids get when they have to clip down. They, they didn't like that moment because you put them in that shame moment and they felt really uncomfortable. So my dream is to get rid of them. I wrote an article uh, two years ago, which uh, was highly uh, picked up by ASCD. A lot of, a lot of individuals enjoyed that article. And our vision is just to, just to make it more private, more one-on-one because we don't need to, publicly shame kids in front of others and that's that's my that's where i'm gonna hold my stance on that and if there has been success with clip charts good because i'm hoping kids you know change behavior and do well but my dream is let's get rid of them let's tear them down and if we can't tear them down let's flip them around because the one thing that i i've also wanted to see a change in is i don't want you to always call me when my son's doing bad yeah i want you to call me when they're doing good so let's put the, the when they clip up the top is hey you get a call home and your parents are gonna hear hey how great you are the bottom one is hey let's rebuild this relationship with your teacher because you didn't live up to the expectations today so that's kind of my dream too well yeah and you're also probably I'm sure you've seen such a wide array of parent responses like you have parents that are like overly involved and you have parents that probably aren't paying a bit of attention to when you call so how do you deal with that as an educator? I think, yeah, hundred percent because I, you get some pushback, like, why didn't you call me? And yeah. I, I try, I try to tell parents all the time. I, well, I'm trying to teach their child first and I'm trying to build that relationship with them where I don't want to call on every little thing. Um, but then I understand because parents need to parent at, at home as well. Um, but I want to be on the same page where I don't want to call a parent and all of a sudden my conversation of, Hey, your child did this wrong today but they took ownership and they're doing better and they're trying to move forward to transfer at home that they lose their, you know, they can't play sports or they can't 
play their video game or they lose their electronics because then that loses the trust I have with that child that just took ownership at my school. So that's where um, I want parents involved. I, I'm a parent. You know, I, I want to know what's going on in my son's life. But I also respect a, a, a teacher or a principal if they're saying, well, I'm trying to work with your child first to try to fix it here so that we can build a stronger relationship at the school before they let me know everything that's going on. Yeah, I'm so interested in this like incentivizing thing because clearly the clip chart is like an incentive. You get praised for being good, then you get brought down for being bad. So like what's a healthier way to incentivize, I guess? And that this can be at home too. I mean, there's parents that have clip charts too at home. So um, I'm just curious, like what do you think is a, you know, that one-on-one time obviously is is huge. And I think that, teachers probably might their biggest argument might be like time management right right? Um, but do you have any good suggestions for incentivizing and I'm not talking about bribery I'm just talking about you did a great job and you see rewards from that do you know what I mean yeah I mean I think one of the biggest things for students is to be able to see that someone cares about them and notices it Mm -hmm. I am I I'm hoping that my son doesn't need a sticker or yes. a pencil. I'm hoping he gets a teacher looking him in the eyes and saying, that was great today. That was something that you you should recognize. And I think teachers sending positive letters home or calling parents on the positive things students do, that that makes me happy. That usually transfers to something you know great for my son. So I think that's a big incentive. Like, I'm going to call your parent today and tell him you did great. Because all of us as parents, if we get a call from the school, when we see that number, we go, oh, no, <laughs> what happened? Mm-hmm. And when we hear that teacher say, I want to let you know your son, your daughter had a fabulous day today. You walk differently at work. I hang up that phone. I am proud. And usually my son comes home and I don't know, there's a his favorite, you know, Taco Bell's there or, you know, here, go play Fortnite for 15 more minutes because – you did well today. And so I think it transfers home. And I think that's the, the easiest way to build on our incentives for students. Okay. Talk to me about grading and homework and your philosophy there. I know there's like so many different, you know, like my son's school, they actually don't have homework at his school. It's kind of like a Reggio based school. Um, and it's just, it's, it's K through eight, but I'm super curious to know your thoughts and feelings. And I'll, and I'll say start this by saying I have really divi- I have really like strange feelings about homework because I just feel like the home life is so different for every single kid and I know there are parents that will dedicate an hour and a half and sit right next to their kid and do their homework with them and there are parents that don't even know their kids have homework. So I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Homework's an interesting thing because um, there is there is certain things that our students need to go home and still practice and and complete to be ready for the next assessment. Now, when I say practice and complete, I want students that if it's it's deemed homework, they've already learned that material and they're mm-hmm. doing things just to prep them for what's next. Some of the homework that I see is you need to learn material by yourself at home. And that's the homework that I don't really appreciate because I don't want students to go home and do a bunch of homework and it's all wrong. And they go back to school and then they have to be retaught that homework again. 
or they get it all wrong. You know, I, I'm hoping that they can, like for my son, I'm hoping he's coming home and showcasing what he learned today, what he knows, and we can do some practice to get him ready for his next test, right? And, and get him feeling confident in what he's doing rather than me and him Googling what <laughs> fifth grade math is <laughs> and trying trying to figure out together how, how to solve a problem. That, that's, that doesn't, I don't, as a parent, I don't like that. So as an educator, I wanna build uh, schools and systems where we try to give as much information as possible and teach as much material possible. So homework is more on building your study skills and building that component of practice uh, so you're prepared. Yeah, how can parents best support educators? I think, um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think parents have to trust um, the profession. Um, I think that's one thing that we could do better at is if, uh, if a, a principal or a teacher calls me, I hope and I believe that what they're recommending to me is because that's their professional opinion. Just like if a doctor, if I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, I need you to take this medicine for seven days. I'd be like, you're right, I need to take it. Or my mechanic told me, hey, I need you to put this type of oil in your truck. I'd be like, you're right, I need to. So I'm hoping that when parents hear a, a teacher or a principal say, I think your child needs this, or I think your child needs, you know, even if it comes to discipline, I think your child needs to be suspended for a day, rather than fighting back on it and why and that's not fair and things like that, understanding the professional opinion of these educators, that was what's best for your child at the moment and that's what's best for the child's school. Um, and just building that connection. And the other thing is I just want I want families to be comfortable with the school. I'm hoping schools are comfortable with families. I want I want my school to be an open door policy where teach uh, parents can come in anytime and watch a classroom and hear what we're doing and ask to talk to anybody and, and just get the, the feeling of a school. So I think that's the other part too, is just be, just be a part of the school and, and enjoy being a part of the school you're at because sometimes you miss the great things that are happening there. Yeah. And then, but what do you say to if, I mean, as a parent and an educator, you see both sides, like as the parent, what if you're really like you intuitively know, like, this is not, you know, these, this school is teaching practices and doing disciplinary things that I'm just not on board with, like the things that you talk about, the clip chart and things like that. I mean, at that point, it's kind of like you trust the profession, but you also have to listen to your own intuition. So do you just switch schools or, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of tough. I think uh, being an informed parent can also help being a informed teacher. So if you're if you're struggling with what some of the things are happening, I encourage doing some research and then not like sh throwing it in a teacher's face like, look, this is what the research says. You shouldn't be doing this. But like, can I talk to you? Can I schedule a meeting with you and say, this is why I think this would be better for my son or child. And then if you're not seeing changes or you don't feel that your child is being successful at that, um, I think every parent has the right to make a decision of what's best for the child and what, what uh, best schooling system is the best for them. Yeah. You know, it's like with parenting, it's like, there's just no one size fits all plan for every human. And I imagine that has to be sort of difficult because, and I'm saying this because I think I'm, I mean, it's funny and actually quite comical how um, involved in 
children, kids fighting at school and stuff like that, like the parents can get sometimes. I mean, I even remember growing up overly involved parents just like getting way too in it. And, you know, it's good for the parents, I think, to step back a little bit. But what happens when you choose to discipline one child one way and go a different route with another kid? Because as the teacher who's with them every day, you see this child will react to this disciplinary measure better than this other one. Do you ever have issues where parents are like, but this kid got didn't get suspended. Why is my kid getting suspended? I get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you know, one of the things that I, I, I'm hoping for and that uh, we're seeing a trend across this country is we're trying to build equitable schools. And equitable schools means that we're figuring out what's right for every individual in every situation. And where we get caught is parents – uh, myself included, sometimes want an uh, equality-based school mm-hmm. where all the kids get the same. And that doesn't, that doesn't help. My son's going to come home to a different household yep. on different expectations rather than some other student. And how I support him on his learning, of, especially in a discipline approach, might be different than another student. And I, I need to trust, and all, all of us as parents need to trust that if a if my kid was suspended, it's for a reason. And it's because that learning might be better for him. If the other kid in this situation wasn't suspended, of course, I'm going to be frustrated at the moment because my pride or whatever you might want to call it might be like, oh, my son is now labeled the bad kid. But maybe that other child doesn't need to be suspended because they are going to learn better with a teacher or with a principal rather than going home to maybe an empty household. And that's something that is hard to hard to see and hard to understand because it usually gets to as a parent we're trying to say like please don't ever label my kid the bad kid and the other kids you know getting away with it but as I've looked at it and as I've seen it as an educator as a parent I know we're doing things because of the situation and we're we're building an equitable uh, place for students. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really challenging to to field constantly be fielding those kinds of questions and parents coming in and and asking those things. What is your thought on parent involvement in the classroom? Like how much is too much? How much is not enough? I know it's so circumstantial. Some, some parents literally can't be in the classroom ever because they're both working full time and just can't get away. Some people, some parents are stay at home parents and they want to be in the classroom probably a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I think it. I think it all goes with the relationship that they have with the the teacher. If the teacher says, you know, I have a great relationship and I love that you're in my classroom and um, you're making a difference in the classroom. Of course, if you're a parent going in there because you just want to watch your own child, I think that's a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, my sister in law, she goes into her children's class all the time, but she is part of the community now. You know, the students love her. They love that she's there, and she's not there just to watch her own child. And I think. That, I, you know, of course we do because we like to see our own child in their learning environment. But um, I want to make sure that when we have people, uh, parents coming into the classroom, it, it's for all our students and not just the, um, just not their own child. And you're absolutely right. I wish I could go and help um, every once in a while in my son's class because I've never been able to experience that. But um, as my job doesn't allow me, I, I know that other people are going to make a, a difference for him. Yeah, I have a friend who's in the classroom a lot and um, I've kind of watched her and she, you know, I she'll tell me stories of 
you know, a little girl getting picked on or something and she'll look that little girl in the eyes and just like speak truth into her, you know, that maybe the teacher wouldn't have seen that because the teacher was busy doing other things. So I do think that it's, it's important to have people like that, you know, and, and it's so awesome too. I was out for a run the other day and she texted me and she was like, I just heard Marshall. That's my oldest son. I just heard Marshall doing the morning announcements and I had no idea he was doing the morning announcements, (laughs) you know, and it was just so cool to know that that was being heard. I don't even know that he would have told me he was doing the morning announcements. (laughs) Right. So, um, that's really cool. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about your school specifically. You mentioned you have a high Hispanic and Somalian population of students. So talk to me about that diversity and, and kind of just what's going on at your school. Yeah. So my school has been open for 12 years. I've had the pleasure of being there for 11. Um, I believe, and it's because my heart and passion is there. We have one of the greatest schools around. Uh, we have students that are, di- you know, our, our, our community is diverse. We bring people in from, you know, different cultures, different religions, you know, different backgrounds, and, and students go along with each other. And our focus is always making sure that we have students at our school that we help them live to their aspirations and, and help them get to where they want to go next. And we have done some really cool things. I think I'm very, we have a lot of things we need to still grow in, um, but I'm proud as our high school uh, we've offered some different pathways for our students so they can figure out what they want to do in their careers. Um, we have an internship um, possibility with the hosp- local hospitals where our students get some internship hours every year from their freshman to senior year if they want that to see if they want to become a doctor. So that's one of the things I'm most proud of. We have a, a fire science academy where we have a um, his name's Captain Swift uh, helping students becoming EMTs and firefighters where we're having you know, 55 kids at a time lined up in uniform, shining boots, getting ready, training outside, and then graduating and getting a job on an ambulance or being an EMT. And it's really nice. Uh, we're seeing uh, we have a pathway for students that want to become future educators where uh, they're working with other schools on how to deliver a lesson and teach a lesson and understand how to lesson plan and, and create that as a norm for who they are. Um, we have students taking college classes and graduating our high school with, um, you know, anywhere between 24 and 50 units of college credit. And, um, the best part is students walk in and they like school and our attendance rate is at 97% every day. They, they come to school and in the community we live in, sometimes people would believe that our students wouldn't come to school and that they would be failing out of school. But I believe that we have some of the the best educators around that strive to say, I love what I do every day and that I love my students. So they come in every day working as hard as they can to show those students. I want to teach you my content. I want to give you the power of knowledge of my content, but I also want to tell you that I love you and I care about you. And I think that's what the easiest part of my job is. I go to a school where adults love kids and they make a huge difference in their lives. And I go to a school where even if kids don't want to be at school, they still show up and they, they try their hardest. And we have our pitfalls and we have our struggles and we're, we're, we're uh, everyday school. So things happen, you know, with the world of high school students. Um, but I'm proud that we have a diverse community that people get along and people choose to to be there and, and to to make a difference. Is this a public school? Yeah, we're, we're a public school. Anybody can come to us. Okay, cool. 
Um, yeah, I, gosh, I, there's just so many thoughts and feelings about the school systems. I, my kids go to, uh, the Indianapolis public school system and, but there's this like choice program and lottery system and, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I, I oftentimes wonder what if we all in this, in the city, you know, in the inner city or whatever you want to call it just sent our kids to like the neighborhood school um, that they belonged to. Um, there's just so many variables and and you want to give your child the best education that you possibly can, but you also want to expose them to a diverse education, both racially and economically. So it's it's so challenging. Um, right now, my, my kid's school is is pretty diverse, I would say. But yeah, it's like finding that balance is is tough because a lot of times people, the second they start seeing behavior problems in a school, they'll pull their kid out and go to a private school if they can afford that option, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, I think um, schools, it, it's always, you're, you know, grass is always greener on the other side and um, schools are always going to have situations and... Um, I think right now we're in a time where schools, we're going to start to see change and we're going to see a lot more focus on um, the whole child. And I think our school system is going to be moving forward as we, we focus on the whole child and still deliver on creating a norm of teaching and educating our students. Okay. One last question revolving around that. Um, what's one empowering thing you could share with a teacher or educator who might be in a classroom that just, it's tough, you know, like kids coming from backgrounds and homes that just are really hard places. Like what's an empowering thing we can share with an educator here? Don't ever lose your identity or agency. You're, you're making an impact on those students' lives. And I know our agency shifts down when we believe we're pushing everything in that we, we know how to do and we believe we're giving all our might and we're not seeing the outcomes that we want. We're going to see them. And I believe teachers that are struggling right now, I thank you for being in this profession. I thank you for what you're doing. You're making a huge impact. I know some days you go home struggling and sad and you know not motivated, but just to, tomorrow's a new day. Come in, know you're making an impact. Know there's people behind you. All of us support each other. This profession is one of the most uh, gratifying professions around. And, and just don't ever lose your fire. Remember your why. Why are you doing this? And, and keep that moving every single day. I love it. All right. So this podcast uh, came out of a supper club. I have three girlfriends that I started the show with and um, we thought it would be fun to end the podcast with some of our guests sharing one of their favorite recipes. So I would love it if you could share, do you have, do you have a favorite go-to meal that your family enjoys? Yeah, we, uh, our favorite meal, my dad, um, was born on the Island of Fiji. So he loves curry. So he has a, a special recipe for beef curry. Um, and my grandma, before she passed away, used to make it and, just really uh, good curry potatoes. So our curry stew is our family tradition. Oh, I love it. Okay. If if I bug you on email, will you send me a link to a recipe? 
Yes, I will. Okay, awesome. Um, <laughs> who is someone in your own life or someone in the world that you see illuminating the world around them? Like, who's someone you would be like, man, I want to hear them on this podcast? Uh, he's my, my, my two mentors at my school right now, uh, Doug Fisher and Ian Pumpian. They, uh, they are two of the greatest minds I've ever, ever have heard. They, they care about students more than I do. Um, and they also are so, uh, selfless. They want everybody else to be successful and they want everybody else to strive and, and become the best person they can be. And they just want to be the bottom of the iceberg and say you can do it and they they changed this world they've been changing the world for years and working at san diego state and traveling to speak on uh literacy and special education that they are amazing individuals you know and and talking about hearing you talk about them makes me just think i mean you're that voice to a younger generation now too you know like mm. people coming up below you i i just feel like when we have mentors like that and we realize we're in that position to be that person to someone else, like that's a really cool feeling. And sometimes I feel like the words I say to people go in one ear and out the other, but man, some of it sticks, right? Right. And I'm not going to, just so I can just throw it out there because it's there. My, my biggest person that I take, and I think half the world loves him more than I do, but the rock, the, the rock, rock mo- the rock motivates me. <laughs> I got to look. I got, everybody says he's like the best person to follow on Instagram. He's the best person on this planet. Besides my kids, he's the best kid, person on this planet. Have you ever met him? No. And I. it is my life journey and life goal to meet him. Okay. I love that. All right, Dominique. This is, this is what we end the podcast with. What is your one message to send to the world? My one message to send to the world. Um, I think... Tomorrow's a new day. Whatever we're struggling with the night before, let it go. And let's start tomorrow new, refresh, and and let's make a difference. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening today. Thank you, Dominique, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. You all can find links to Dominique's TEDx Talks, his books, and everything we talked about in the show notes of this episode at theilluminatepodcast.com. You can follow The Illuminate Podcast on Instagram, The Illuminate Podcast. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed this show, please consider taking a screenshot and sharing it on your social media channels. Tell a friend about the show. And thank you so much for being here. We appreciate each and every one of you. Have a really great rest of your day, and we will see you next Wednesday on The Illuminate Podcast.